Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demonland podcast. My name is Andy, and well, if the season wasn't already over, and let's be honest, it probably was already well and truly cooked before the Queen's birthday match, well, now we are left to pick up the pieces, examine what went wrong, and determine the best way to fix our broken team. But before we go into the post-mortem, we're going to get straight uh, into the main event tonight. Our guest tonight became a cult hero of the Melbourne Football Club despite playing fewer than 100 games in a career that spanned five years from 1987 to 1991. His firebrand style matched his shock of red hair and endeared him to a generation of D's fans. We're talking about the one and only Straubs, the great Stephen O'Dwyer. Welcome to the Demonland Podcast, Straubs. Thanks, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Straubs, Mason Cox gets a lot of love these days, having come over from America, but you did something similar more than 30 years ago because you spent a number of uh, your formative years in the US due to your father's work. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I went over there as a, as a young teenager. My dad was working for the embassy in DC. So was over there for about four years. And whilst over there, I was playing gridiron and baseball and basketball and because I just loved sport as a kid and came to Melbourne, started playing footy around 16, 17, uh, because that's what they played in Melbourne was <laughs> AFL and cricket, so took that up. Uh, in addition to, to those sports, Straubs, it's true that you're also a bit of a gun at rugby, we believe, having spent some of your childhood in uh, in New South Wales, obviously. New South Wales, yeah, played union as, <laughs> as a kid. So that was kind of my formative years and then went into the gridiron and then into uh, into AFL. Straubs, if we can take you back to your very first game, it was round four, 1987. You gave St Kilda's Allen Sidebottom an absolute bath. You also managed to get yourself suspended for striking for the first time. Uh, it kind of set the scene for the rest of your career, didn't it? Uh, always in good form, but never far from the umpire's notebook. Uh, it was probably a bit unfortunate uh, getting suspended in your first game because you do get a bit of a reputation with the umpires. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd played one game and been suspended for two when I came back um, and didn't really start off on the right foot. I uh, got suspended again on the first game back and got another two weeks. Uh, that was uh, definitely meant that I had to be very, very careful. Um, I never got suspended as a junior or reported even, um, but once back in those days you had to stand up for yourself, otherwise you just got crucified. Uh, Straub's your most famous and probably most costly suspension came in that preliminary final against Carlton in 1988. Uh, tell us a bit about that incident and did you realise at the time that it was going to cost you a spot should we make it the following week? Um, well, I can remember the incident. It was uh, Steve Garoui was going for the ball and I came in to tackle him off the ball and he kind of put his foot out and went low and I got him a little bit high with like a, my, really my bicep, I guess. Um, so then, you know, about three or four Carlton players jumped on top of me and gave me, <laughs> gave me a bit of a hiding. And I came up and the umpire was there and he took my number and at that stage I knew that I'd be in uh, serious strife because every time I took my number, I didn't really uh, get much of a 
hearing. Um, so, yeah, at that stage I was a bit worried and thought that it might be okay. A lot of people have done less than that before a grand final and not got suspended. So, but unfortunately, uh, we went to the tribunal the night before the Brownlow, or night of the Brownlow, and uh, got suspended for two weeks. I uh, went to the Brownlow with the teammates and they were all on the orange juice and so I decided that I <laughs> might have a couple of years to drown the sorrows. How how hard was it sitting on the sidelines that day watching as we got thumped, knowing you couldn't do anything about it? Oh, it was horrendous. Uh, I can remember watching the game and just every time the ball bounced, it bounced in the, into the arms of the Hawthorne players and seemed like nothing could go right for us that day. Um, and then going out on the ground afterwards when, uh, as you said, being thumped and on record margin yeah. at that stage, um, yeah, it, uh, I felt for all of them and also felt for them because I felt that I'd let them down a little bit. Uh, Straubs, you ranked eighth uh, in most reports and ninth in terms of most games uh, missed. Uh, was there a bit of white line fever about the way you played that game and had you always had that in you uh, in the sport that you played? Um, always been competitive. Um, so if that's what you call white line fever, then I'd say, yeah, definitely. Yep. You know, you get on the field and you want to win. Uh, also, what I said before, in that uh, it was pretty tough in those days, and you come in as a, you know, eighteen-year-old kid, and you're playing against the likes of, well, Mark Lee was my first night game that I played, and you know, sent him, they'd kick out the ball from a point, and uh, he'd stomp on your foot and give you an elbow in the head, and then run off and take a mark. So it really was uh, a totally different game back in those days and one of also having to stand up for your smaller players as well because uh, you didn't want to see them getting knocked around either. It was part of the Northern ethos, wasn't it, that that sort of care among the playing group for one another? Well, that, that playing group was a very good playing group and they were all out to look after each other across the board. So it was part of the reason why we, we had such a successful team at that stage was because everyone had each other's backs. You played alongside uh, the great uh, Jimmy Steins uh, to form the competition's most uh, fearsome ruck combo. How do you think that dynamic worked between you two? Because you both relished playing the number one role. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> Jimmy and I had a very uh, fierce competitive uh, streak, both of us. And we, you know, we started playing 19s together. Um, I won the BNF and Jimmy came runner-up in the under-19s. And from then on, it was very much a competition for who was going to get the number one spot. Um, training was always full of one-on-one -on -one sessions where you're, you know, trying to prove yourself. Uh, but once, once we were playing, it was absolutely the... You know, sometimes he got put in positions that, you know, I can remember playing centre forward up in up in Queensland one time. Never played centre forward in my life, but that was where Northey had decided that you know I'd be best suited for the day, and you just do what's best for the team. 
uh, tell us a bit about Jimmy the person. Um, were the two of you close, and did you keep in contact um, after the footy had ended? Uh, well, I mean, Jimmy's obviously a, a very well-respected, and you know, he's done a lot for not only the footy club but also the Reach Foundation. Yep. Um, very, very well respected and, you know, an honourable person. Um, in regard to keeping up, we didn't uh, really keep up from a day-to-day -day basis. But I can remember taking my daughter down to the St Kilda Sea Bars and just sitting by the edge of the pool while his kids and my daughter were swimming in the pool and talking about life after footy and what's really important and really your family and your your friends and you know your loved ones are probably the most important thing in your life and then the, the footy club kind of was after that so um he's a true gentleman and uh very big loss yeah certainly um strobs there's pretty fierce debate in online chat forums such as ours at demonland.com about playing two ruckman uh in melbourne's case uh braden Proust, uh providing some backup for max scorn is there still a place for two ruckmen in the modern game? There, there is a place for two ruckmen. Uh, a lot depends on the team that you're playing, and also what kind of strength you've got in your forward line, and whether you're going to rest your ruckman on the uh, on the bench, what the weather's like, <laughs> whether it's a wet day, dry day. Um, so there's definitely room for two ruckmen, and it also depends on the style of play of the Ruckman. I mean, these days they're more more like uh, mobile midfielders uh, than you know, the old day um, tap out and drop back in a hole type situation. So, I mean, um, there's a lot of factors that have got to be considered against your opponents and then also all the other factors that come into it. But I do think that there's room for two Ruckman in a, in a side these days. Uh, how do you th how do you think you'd go um, today, Straubs? Would you still get a kick? <laughs> that, that's all, uh, yeah, very hard to say. But the, the way that the kids are developed these days and brought up into the game is obviously different to how you know, would have been developed back in back in our day. Um, so I guess when you when your development uh, is done differently, that you're going to play a different style of game as well. So, I mean, you know, it did cover a lot of a lot of uh, kilometres over a game back in those days. If, if you were the only ruckman, you'd be on all day. You didn't come off, and you'd be going from you know centre forward or the forward line right back into the defence when they're having shot for goal and covering all the boundaries. So. Um, I don't think fitness would have been an issue, but uh, the style of game is such that it's so intense and uh, you know, that you don't have uh, room to hide anywhere, that's for sure, these days. But um, I don't know. You'd, you'd give it a crack and you'd give it your best and see how you went. I, I noticed that you went uh, to Darwin with a few ex-Demon uh, players to watch the boys the other week. How often do you guys catch up, and is there still a strong bond between all of you? Uh, you achieved some incredible things together. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
how often do we catch up? We probably catch up, uh, well, past players have probably three or four functions a year uh, at the MCG. Um, we also have an annual event, uh, one that's kind of an informal event, and then we've got the formal uh, catch-up before the grand final. Other players, you'll, you'll, you know, you have certain players that you see more often but just through uh, social events and catching up with each other. Um, Darwin was one of those things that I, I like to try and get to because uh, not only the past players but the supporters that go along to that are a fantastic bunch of people and uh, yeah, it's good to do that kind of thing. Um, Sorry, what was uh, the rest of the question? I just—it uh, was just about how often you catch up, which you've answered, and uh, the you know yeah. the bond between you uh, you guys. Um, yeah, it was great to see sort of you know Grinter and uh, and Hopgood and Stephen Powell and and yourself and a few others uh, there. Yeah. Uh, it's good to see you still being involved with the club. Well, the likes of Rob Grinter, he he still does a hell of a lot around the club. He's the president of the Past Players Association. He's always working you know, with the supporter groups now and also he does a lot of work with uh, Fight M&D. And, uh, so he's one of the guys that puts in so much work that it's, uh, and gets very little in, in, in return as in recognition. But um, he'd be one that you'd ex- ex- absolutely uh, tip your hat to. Yeah, well, we'll be, we're actually uh, in a couple of weeks being interviewing him on this podcast, so looking forward to that. <laughs> Very good. The, the uh, question about um, suspensions. Yes, and, we've already got yeah, it. That, <laughs> that, 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 that all came up in Darwin uh, after a few years uh, on, on, on a Friday night. Yes, so. he, he, <laughs> he, you ranked uh, ninth in most suspended games for the Ds yeah. and he's number one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> By a long way. I knew that for a fact. <laughs> uh, Straub's two final questions for you. You mentioned your children before. Can we expect any uh, O'Dwyer offspring um, to be either on the men's or the women's list anytime soon? Well, I've got a daughter. She's 13. She just uh, said to me, and I might take up footy next year. She's been attending the father-son-daughter clinics that Melbourne's running at the moment. Yep. So she's been to uh, one of those. Got another one coming up. In the school holidays, so that's a good, a good program that Melbourne's put in place to try and foster that, um, you know, development of past players, offspring, children, to, um, you know, create an interest in not only football, but the footy club itself. Yep. So you never know. We'll see what happens. Uh, and, and just one last one for you. How often do you get to see the current team play and... Uh... Uh, what do we need to do to turn things around, do you think? Ooh. It's uh, <laughs> a loaded one. <laughs> how, how, how often? Uh, not often enough. Uh, because my daughter plays uh, sport on Saturday and rep sport on Sunday, it, it's sometimes very difficult to cover all those bases and get to the footy. Um, been to a few games this year, but as I said, probably like to get to a few more. Um, in regard to the current team, I think they've—I mean, they've got the basis there. It's competitive enough at the ball. The delivery 
it has been absolutely horrendous um, over the first half of the year. And I think if they can work on that, there's periods of time where they, you know, they might play half a quarter where they can actually put it together and deliver the ball to each other, and then it all seems to fly out the window. Yep. I think uh, that's probably their main thing that they need to get back in line. It seems like, you know, rather than having one or two out of form at once, we seem to have you know half the team out of form at the same time. And we've got you know, some injury problems, but you can't put it down to that. Um, so hopefully we get you know some more people back in the team. I think also having injuries early in the season doesn't lead to a great preparation for the whole team. Um, so that might have had something to do with it. Um, hopefully they can you know, string together some decent... Uh, movement into the forward line well really across the whole ground um and you know start stringing it together like that and get back to where they were at the end of last year hopefully 2020 will be uh, a very different story yes we we hope so too uh Straubs, uh we just want to thank you uh for your time uh tonight we really uh, appreciate it and um it was really nice uh, taking a trip down uh, memory lane uh, with you. So thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh. Well, that was uh, that was Steve Straub's O'Dwyer. Uh, thanks again uh, to to Steve for giving us uh, his time and uh, great vining. Wasn't uh, that was nice uh, to hear from uh, someone who we grew up uh, watching week in week out. Uh, yeah, look, as you said in the intro, a bit of a cult hero, uh, uh, Straubs. Um, I didn't realise that he'd played so few games, um, under 100. Um, I guess he's, uh, he's such an enigma. He, he cast a, a big presence over the club. And also uh, now joining us as well, um, able to string, unlike uh, uh, T- Tim Smith, he's able to string two podcasts uh, together in a row. Um, Super Mercado, good evening. How are you? Gentlemen, and just like Tim Smith, I was a mature recruit and maybe delisted <laughs> at the end of this year. <laughs> you might Thank be. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, boys, um, <laughs> where do we start uh, with this uh, with this match? Um Look, obviously the stats don't tell the story. The scoreboard does. But uh, once again, we had more disposals. We smashed a team in contested possessions by nearly 30, had 17 more clearances, two more inside 50s, one less scoring shot, and still managed to lose by 40-odd points. Yeah, it's hard to believe. We were, I mean, we were within striking distance early in the last, really. It was uh, two and a half goals, I think, at one stage. So... Um, Having said that, at no stage uh, during the game did I feel like we no. were going to really win it, um, even though it was there for the taking. Collingwood kicked uh, inaccurately early in the uh, early in the game in the first quarter. Uh, the score uh, could have been much greater at quarter time. Having said that, they then, I think, kicked nine straight for the rest of the game. So um, the curse of opposition teams uh, kicking very accurately 
against us continues. Yeah, we talked about that last week. The the scoring accuracy, our scoring accuracy is a joke. Um, I think we had our efficiency scoring efficiency was thirty two percent to sixty five. Uh, the accuracy nine, nine after half time it was nine straight to four goals ten. Uh, after quarter time it was uh, twelve three to six thirteen. Um, I, I look, I thought early on their inaccuracy they could have been a lot further up uh, as has happened a few times to us this year. But uh, yeah, this accuracy in front of goals it certainly has not uh, helped us. Super Mercado thoughts? Yeah, you said we were in striking distance in the last quarter and you're quite right, but unfortunately the way we're attacking this year, 2.5 goals may as well have been 25 goals uh, because there was no chance in hell we were going to run run them down. Uh, But to be honest, that was such a forgettable loss that I'm not even dwelling on it. Obviously I'm dwelling on it a bit because we're talking about it tonight, (laughs) but we didn't get anywhere near close enough to make it a disappointing defeat and we didn't get anywhere near thrashed as much as we deserved which would have given us something to come on and you know tip tables and swear about it just kind of from the moment that we botched the first center clearance and it went straight to a Collingwood player 10 meters in front of an opponent uh, and even though he missed but the moment that happened we just we just floated along for the rest of the game it was almost like they were they were just happy to to you know run a few run May and Lever through a, a training drill and keep the margin down as much as possible. Um, there didn't seem Can to be much interest about... in throwing the magnets in the air and seeing if we could actually find a way to get back in the game. So, it, like I said, very forgettable game. Come back in a year and ask somebody what happened in this game, uh, and they will not be able to tell you. Maybe more than one or two things, like Jeremy Howe getting done for the free or something like that. No one will remember anything else that happened in this game. Can I, can I just go back to something you mentioned then, Super Mercado, which was the very first act of the game. Um, Clary won the clearance. He had oodles of space, and he handballed to a stationary Max Gorn. And for me, that summed up the season. Um, uh, I, Oliver was at fault on that occasion, but they've all done it. They all do it. Um and, I mean, as I say, it sums up the season. I can't for the yes. life of me um, understand why it's going on the way it is. It's just like they want to make it someone else's problem. Well, that and, would... and that probably looks like that. It's probably realistically it's just the um, obsession with playing on it all counts. But it just ends up looking like just a desperation to take the ball away from me and send it anywhere that it's not my issue anymore. Yeah. I just can't fathom that a player like Oliver, who was so aware of his time and space last year, um, seems to be so far off the boil with it this year, um, to not have that presence of mind to know uh, when he has to give it off quickly and when he's got more time. I think it comes down to that uh, that, that game plan of that uh, that chaotic game plan that just doesn't seem to work for us, but they keep persisting with because it's not working. I mean... Uh, and a lot of people were critical of Clary that um, that he, he's too quick to give off his handball, doesn't realise that he has the space. But that handballing to uh, to, a, to stationary players, and it wasn't just him, we seem to handball to stationary players or players that are completely under the pump um, when, when it's unnecessary. The, as you mentioned, the play on at all costs, where sometimes you don't have to play it on, not ask him to hold it and wait till every player is manned up. Um, but it's not working for us. And, and it's just, 
it's like that they've got some, you know, master plan for next year and it's like, well, don't reveal it now. Let's just roll through to the rest of the year. No one, the big boss isn't going to get sacked. We'll all just get through to the end of the year and then we'll restart again. It really feels like the last two months, three months of this season is just going to be maintenance um, and putting putting run into the legs of players. Uh, if we had any kids, that would probably be the right time to play them. Uh, but realistically, apart from Dunkley... Uh, we haven't really got all that many kids in the tank. Well, yep. we're talking about uh, forward uh, being dangerous in forward. We, at the moment, with the team we currently have, we just don't have anybody that looks dangerous around goals. Um, Tom McDonald is in an absolute funk at the moment. It's got to be an injury. We've been talking about it for weeks and weeks. He he's, can't seem to to move at times well, as he's jump. Is it time to stop playing him? Because he's almost a liability. If, if he needs surgery, let's do it now. Like, I don't know what yep. it is, but if he does, if it is medical stuff, if you're listening, which you're probably not, if it is, get him out of the t- <laughs> Get him now. Do it now. We yeah, don't need him to have a delayed preseason. The injury issues, which I'm with you, I'm absolutely convinced he's got some kind of injury issues. I think that has just totally demolished his confidence. Yeah. Um, he, he had those two... Awful shots on goal in the first quarter. So bad that when he took a mark in the last quarter, they started talking about how it was his first shot on goal for the day. <laughs> and when he missed it, he just looked like he was absolutely just totally stripped of confidence. So, yeah, I agree. Even if he's not injured, it's it's time to maybe not drop him to the twos, but just do, the, do that old take a week, get out of here, um, and go get your head together. Um, and we'll work out what we're going to do when we come back because I, I think his confidence is absolutely shattered and he's not the only one in this team. No, certainly not. But his stats are, are quite damning from last year to this year. Uh, he kicked uh, 53-20 uh, last year, had 34 contested marks. In in 12 games this year, he's kicked 8 goals, 10 and 15 contested marks. He's, he's averaged almost 7 marks a game last year and 2.65 goals. This year, 3.5 marks, it's half. Uh, with a point six 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 goal uh, per per game. That's appropriate. <laughs> yes, um, definitely. And he kicked six on this in this game last year. When I when I tuned in before the Straubers interview and the uh, the Paul Ruse interview last year was playing, and it was right in the middle of the question we were asking about Tom going forward, and it was just because that was that was recorded on this day. It was the day after Queen's yes, birthday it was. last year, and it's just remarkable to come 12 months down the line from a day where he's kicked six and he's got Paul Ruse raving about him as a forward <laughs> to the point now where, you know, pick any maligned forward that you've ever had at the Melbourne Football Club, and we've had a few, and he's playing as badly as any of them. It's just uh, it's one of the most um, remarkable drop-offs ever, and I just hope that there is a medical issue that can be fixed and it's not a total confidence demolition job. Um, I'll just uh, quickly uh, mention that if you do want to join us tonight uh, and and have a chat with us and put your thoughts on the Queen's birthday game and uh, what we can do going forward, uh, give us a call 0390163666. That's uh, 0390163666 or give us a call on Skype, uh, Demonland31. Um, yeah, join us in the chat room, demonland.com slash podcast if you are listening to this live. Um, they just there's no forward line connectivity for, from the midfield into the forward line. Um, 
And I noticed, uh, saw on Twitter, we've achieved another record this year. We've uh, scored a goal from just uh, 16.98% of inside 50 entries so far this year. And it's the lowest figure ever recorded by one team in an AFL season since they started recording inside 50s in 1998. So it's it's one of those things we get. It's frustrating because we're we're get you know, I, look if we weren't getting the ball and the ball wasn't going into our forward line, that's one thing. But we're getting the ball in there, so it's why it's so frustrating that we have the ability to to score big scores. But whether it's uh, accuracy or ball coming straight out, that just makes it even more frustrating and and sad, I guess. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) There's not much you can say. And I think what we're also lacking, like one, we're lacking players kicking out of the midfield to the play, to their forwards. But two, we're lacking the goals made from keeping the ball inside 50. Uh, We are putrid from forward 50 stoppages unless Gorn is involved. And that's Bruce in the Sydney game showed exactly why he should be in the team for that reason, Mm -hmm. because he created two goals and kicked one himself from forward 50 stoppages. And also when the ball just stays down there, where are the the fluky goals? Where's the one where the guy sticks his foot out at a loose ball and just rolls it through? It's, you know, we're more likely to have the players trying to handball it around in a circle um, three or four times when someone could just snap one over their shoulder. Like, again, like the, train, like the trainers, if the players are listening, and I don't think they are, just have a shot. No one will hold you responsible at this time of the season if you just have a shot over your shoulder from 30 metres out. Don't think you have to handball it to someone else uh, who's going to walk it it in the goals. Just have a bash. Yeah, I'll... Go ahead, Grey Bunny. Christian Petraka attempted a 35-centimetre kick to somebody instead of having a shot on goal. You're right. It's it's gotten to ridiculous levels now. And now who cares? The the season's dead. Just, just go for it. Like, you know, and I will personally defend anyone who gets you know, slaughtered for being hungry um, in the next few weeks because, sure, we don't want it every week. If it becomes a trend, they've got to look at it. But just on the next few weeks, if you're in the pocket, just have a shot. Jesus, it's, you know, we slaughtered Garlet for it earlier in the season, um, whereas now I would probably give him a knighthood if he'd had a shot from the boundary line 50 metres out. We do have a caller, but before we go to to the caller, I'll, I'll just uh, say there was also uh, Wiedemann at one stage was um, sort of got the ball and was on the run, and he he should have had a you know he should have had a ping at goal, but he attempted a short pass, he missed it. Yeah, I think a player like him should take his chances and have a shot at goal. But another thing I noticed is that we don't have a single player that has any penetration in their snaps for goal. 20, 30 metres out, then they're not even make the amount of players one of them snaps from 20 or 30 out and doesn't even make the distance is staggering. Yeah, and there was never a, there's never another player in the square. No, it always goes into that the if they there. did make fail to make the distance, we at least get a contest out of it. Um, we'll take our caller now. Good evening, uh, caller. You're on the air. Who are we talking to? It's D Zephyr, gentlemen. How are you? Oh, good day, D Zephyr. How, how are you going? Yeah, not too bad tonight. Uh, keep up the good work, guys. Thank you. Have you recovered from the Champions uh, League defeat? Oh, God. 
great by any. <laughs> I don't want to think about it too much. But fair enough. The game we're let's, on let's the back foot, the nineteen Melbourne seconds in. <laughs> yeah, like being a Melbourne fan. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Melbourne defeat then, shall we? Yeah, basically wanted to talk what you fellas just touched on. Um, instinct. What's happened to that? It's <laughs> um, sitting front row goals, like at the front row, you can sort of see, you know, when players spread and, and what's running through their mind. Are our players second-guessing themselves, the way they're being coached? I, I just, I, you mentioned Petrarca's 35-centimetre pass, Garlett not having a set shot. Tom McDonald led from the goal square into the pocket and, and Garlett passes it to him. Why aren't they backing themselves? It's really frustrating. And I Confidence. don't know what the problem is. Confidence is, is part of it. Um, I think they're just bereft of uh, any confidence at the moment because that surely can't be uh, the, the team <laughs> rule. And if it is, it's, yeah, something's got to change. It also, in the first quarter, uh, Collingwood were really, really switched on. Um, they attacked us early. And what I saw was their players just 100% commitment to get to the ball first, smother our kicks, tackle us. Um, we lifted our work rate. Our work rate became better as the game went on, but Collingwood were just at us. And now, to those that have played footy, uh, when an opponent run past you, it, it, you know, your first instinct is to chase them. I saw, not that our players weren't chasing, but it looked like our players were directing fellow players down the field where they should be standing rather than just chase the bloke. If you don't get him, you don't get him. Are they worried about mistakes they're going to make for games and are just willing to you know, put the responsibility on someone else like you touched on? There's definitely a lot of finger pointing going on. Um, I don't mean it in an accusatory way, but... I noticed yep. that, uh, yeah, that virtually at every stoppage, everyone's pointing um, in 10 different directions. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, look, I'm the same. I'm not having a go at them. I'm just, is that what that's been drilled in them? You know, and the players that are pointing are basically trying to lead the rest of the boys. Like, I saw Stephen May. Uh, do you remember the... the May, I think it was Pun Road, he was in the back pocket. He's passed it to Hall, who was in our defensive goal square. Then he kicked it onto Salem, and Salem turned the ball over, and they got a goal. Do you remember that incident? I think it might have been the third quarter. Yep. By any chance? Yeah. So after that goal was kicked, Stephen May approached Hall. That's how a goal at him. Just told him, basically, before you kick it to Salem, make sure he has options further up the field. Because when the ball was kicked to Salem, Salem had no option on the northern stand wing. And he's just bombed it blindly, turnover goal. You know, it's... Uh, it's you see these mistakes. Yeah. It's frustrating, I know. Yeah. Uh, it really was. And like you guys, I wasn't expecting to win the game at all throughout the game yesterday. But Tom McDonald missed that shot. You, not saying we would have won, but 10 minutes to go would have brought us within, what, a couple of goals, I think? And the worst part, like all season, they took it right up the other end and just basically sealed the game. But, uh, and the goal kicking, oh, goodness. Yeah. Yep, fair call. Um, yeah, but, it's frustrating, frustrating for sure. So, uh, yeah, anything else, uh, DZEPA? Oh, yeah, just quickly, on Maxi, <laughs> he absolutely destroyed Grundy. And uh, I know in a couple of the 
forums and threads. Um, people are compl- not complaining. People are posting that Maxi doesn't get the recognition he deserves. And I noticed in a couple of articles today, like he made the team of the week again, yep. uh, albeit against the Saul Grundy. You know, and uh, just yeah. to read stuff like, <laughs> well, look, you um, know. But anyway. It was an amazing uh, effort from Maxi. Thirty-four disposals, and and am I correct, um, uh, Super Mercado? That it's the most um, from a, a D's Ruckman. Was that? No, Jim Steins had two more. I think Jim Steins had a thirty-six or a thirty-eight, uh, and one other, and then yeah, Jeff White had thirty-three. Right, yeah, and then uh, ten clearances, thirty-three hitouts. Uh, it is a, a, a remarkable effort. Um, Look, both Grundy and uh, Gorn, they're going to both end up in the in the All Australian team. I've got a feeling that they're going to put Grundy in the um, in the number one spot, probably because Collingwood's had a better year than us. Um, look, that didn't happen last year, but uh, what happened in the corresponding game last year? I think Grundy had the honours in in that one. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, I've got a feeling Grundy's going to get it, but Maxi has uh, been colossal this year, especially uh, in playing in the team he's played in. Um, great effort. Why is it that when we win the scent and clearances so convincingly as we seem to do yesterday, where are those goals that come straight out of the middle, a streaming Clayton Oliver or a streaming Hasn't happened James? this year. Um, so has that happened? No. I'll tell you one time it year? happened. Start of the St Kilda game, straight on the chest of Braden Pruce. <laughs> well, that brings us back. That Never brings seen us, again. That, well, Never that, picked again. That brings us to selection issues, and not, we won't talk about the, the selection for ne- for next the next game. But uh, are you perplexed? Why? Uh, what? Why? Why do you think Pruce isn't getting a game? Do, do you think it's maybe they think he doesn't have the tank to play? What is it? Uh, I've been screaming for it. I know Super Mercado has. Uh, Grapevining, I don't think you have been as vocal uh, for it. And I, I don't think he's going to be the difference, like having him in the team. But uh, I think uh, George uh, on the outer summed it up really well that uh, whenever Max went off, um, you know, we had to take, and particularly because Tim Smith wasn't there, we had to take one of the forwards uh, out of out of the forward line into the ruck and then at even one stage uh, Wiedemann went into the ruck and and Tom McDonald was off the ground at the time with Max. Um, it left our forward line just um, uh, just desolate basically. So it's we're sort of screaming out for that guy. I'd play him at the moment over, um, over Tommy Mack. Well, I just want to find out why we recruited him. I know exactly what? why. If Max Gorn went down with an injury. Yeah, and then he played one, and we did speak about how it was ludicrously hot, but he played one uh, pre-season game and was almost dead by half time. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, if if he's not going to be able to play four quarters, then what's the point of having him as the backup for the guy who always plays four quarters? What I also want to know is, Tim Smith was a late withdrawal with the flu. When did they know that? Is when that did what the flu know? come on? Because if it didn't come on after 2pm on Saturday... Why did we take Stretch and Wagner out of the Casey game and not take Bruce out of the Casey game? It, it, it had to have been to understand after. this because then you got you got a tall forward going out, and you, all you could replace him with was a defender and a midfielder. What's the rules uh, in terms of uh, the holdover player? Uh, can they play someone that played in the twos? I mean, I know it's probably not ideal considering they've played a full game of footy. I don't think footy, so because uh, I know it. Ha- I know that happened 
10, about 10 years ago with a North Melbourne player that came straight out of the twos, straight to Eddie Had Stadium. Uh, and I think they've uh, put the brakes on that. But look, I think after the Casey game, bad luck. Like yeah, if something yeah. happens after that, then that's just bad luck for the team. But I would, it's like last week with, with Salem. Uh, if he was kind of hit and miss, then why didn't we have a similar player in the tank ready to go? Um, and it's the same thing again this time. And you know, there's probably a case to say we could do with one less tall forward. Um, and not that it worked this time. But I just think that now, like, let's be realistic. The season is shot. I said this last week. It's even shotter now. <laughs> or let's find out if this guy is going to be any good. I don't know if he's going to be any good. Um, it could be, you know, miss, uh, you know, miss excitement, and he could come in and do absolutely nothing. But let's find out why we recruited him. I'm be- I bet you he's not on a one-year contract. So are we going to use him next year or are we just going to sit him in the reserves all next year and run Max into the ground? I don't understand why we he would not get a token game somewhere. Great, Viney. You seem to want to say well, something. And why have any tall marking forwards at all if you're going to kick to Charlie Spargo on a lead? Um, the amount of times that we kick to a small rather than the talls, it, it just it drives me crazy. Kick into a contest to the smallest player on the ground. It's happened a few times. Uh, D Zephyr, any thoughts on uh, Big Prusy? Uh Yeah, well, from the small sample we've seen, there's a bloke that's got a bit of instinct. Like his goal against the Swans, grab it out of the ruck, snap, goal. And then I believe the week later, didn't he kick a 55-metre bomb on the run against the Saints in the first quarter? Yeah. One of his two for the day. It's, there's a guy backing himself. Well, we've got others... Like said, the kick into Spargo, you know, it's just, oh, there's a player, I'll get rid of the ball, hopefully he marks it. I'd give him a go. I watched him two weeks ago against Werribee for Casey, and they predominantly used him in the ruck and forward. Now, the game that was televised the other day against, um, who did we play, Collingwood? I think he, he was in the ruck, went forward, and also they dropped him back for two of the quarters in patches. So his work rate looks like to be getting better. But like, just bite the bullet, give him a go, see what he produces. At least, <laughs> if he's got to fight two blokes, like Tom McDonald and the Weedham, and they'll be fighting all season, he might just, you know, bump him out the way with his body and create some kind of clearance for the little fellas. It just amazes me how our forward line's so crowded yeah. compared to the opposition. Did you notice Stevenson starting on Frost in the first couple of bounces? Frost is quick, but before Frost got knocked out, Stevenson just burned him for pace. Kind of like we used Hunt out of the goal score a few times, you know, from centre clear from a centre bounce. I I just love the big fella in there for the next few weeks and see what happens if it was up to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. There's there's no harm now in giving it a go, and I think he also probably brings a bit of aggression um, and and presence to the forward line as well. Whereas now there is absolutely nothing frightening in any way about anyone in our forward line. At least he's the chance of. You know, crashing a pack or, you know, doing what he did in the, the pre-season game and just picking a Richmond player up and just throwing him on the ground. That, just a <laughs> bit of, you know, a bit of aggression, a bit of oomph to that forward line because at the moment it's it's terrible. It's, you know, approaching 2013, 2014 levels of scoring. Uh, it's, it's below 2015 by about three points a game. 
Um, it's just if they think they're just going to carry on like this and everything's suddenly going to going to come good at some point, I think they've lost the plot because the forward line, apart from Melksham, is not where we're waiting to get players back. And I think he's absolutely vital, but at the same time, that's not going to help. Not going to help the overall scenario. Uh, Binman has just uh, noted in the chat room that our kicking is frightening, and it is it, it's it is frighteningly bad, and it's incomprehensible. Uh, I'm not saying we were the most um, skilled team last year, but the drop off in skill level between last year and this is just astonishing. Yeah, I have to agree. The um, uh... Uh, disposal across the ball, whether it's by foot or hand, is is woeful, and uh, it's certainly Even not Straub, helping us. Straub said it, yep. so, you know. But is there something to be said for the over-reliance on contested ball being king for the last couple of years? It's like if you were playing a video game, like the slider on contested ball has just gone all the way to one end and everything else has been forgotten. And now the last couple of weeks, we've actually won the contested possession, but we lack, unfortunately, you can win contested possession until the cows come home, but if you don't score, yep. everything else is wasted. So it's like they've just got this, uh, this deep-seated obsession with contested ball, and last year we got away with it, uh, and this year um, it, we're not getting away with it because we're not scoring. So there, there needs to be another focus on you know, the the very important part of footy, which is kicking a score. Um, we don't have as many injuries as we did have, but uh, you mentioned Melksham, and I believe we're really we are missing him. Uh, we're missing Vandenberg, but it looks like he's not uh, he's not back anytime soon. And uh, I guess I guess we're really missing uh, Jeddah as well, um, but also. Um, you know, not we back anytime soon. Now that Lever's yeah, back yeah. and starting to show, um, as he did uh, as the game wore on, really good signs of getting back to, to to good form, we can probably cover Nev better than we can yeah. Milksham at the moment. Um, yeah, the Milksham I agree with that. loss really hurts. Uh, yeah. oh, I don't think the back line's got anything to, to be, um, you know, responsible for. You know, they did a few... NQR things here and there, and and obviously May and Lever were pretty rusty, but God, you could have Stephen Silvani and Chris Langford down there, and you're not going to defend 57 points every week. No. Nah. Uh, so I think they did a, did a pretty good job given the ease the ball was coming in there with, and and yeah, Lever and May that was good signs for next year, I reckon. Um, we hopefully are going to at least go into next year with a solid defence, but we're not going to go in with a defence that can defend kicking scores of 57, 60, 65 every week. No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they were such welcome additions, May and Lever. Um, I'm looking forward to a long partnership between the, the two of them, and it also allows Hall to have a little, little bit more freedom to intercept, or or if uh, Hall is one of the ones tasked with a, a, an opponent, maybe Lever as that intercept mark. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I think our back line's in good shape, but I think we really... <laughs> Obviously, we're lacking form in the forward line and possibly another decent uh, forward. Just on the defenders, how ironic was it that after we bought four defenders in and finally looked to have Nev aside, our first choice back line in, for the first time all year, it lasted 90 seconds yep. before two of them cracked heads. 
and one of them was never seen again. Like that is such a Melbourne scenario. Yeah, I had that in my notes that I've just uh, scribbled down in front of me. Uh, it's not the reason we lost, uh, but we did lose a key forward before the game, and we uh, a key rebounding defender minutes into the game, and I don't think as well. Uh, Salem, who he collided with, I don't think was the same for the rest of the the game, no. despite playing. And he's had a history of concussion, so uh, we, he could be, a, and just recently as well. So we, we could yeah. be missing him. Uh, well, that I, that's what I thought. I thought, look, no offence to Frost, but given that how many concussions Salem's had, and quite recently, I'm glad that if one of them, and obviously we wouldn't have played either of them if they'd both been total concussion cases, um, but I'm, I'm glad it wasn't the guy who's just had a concussion and come back from it and had that mystery week off last week with illness. Uh, I'm glad that he was the one that was judged able to play out the game. These, no, these... More, no more backpacks for uh, Salem. <laughs> no. I believe he's allowed to handle bricks under certain supervised conditions, but uh, stay away from the open backpacks. Yeah. I agree. Um, or wear a helmet like everyone else in our history. We've got Brayshaw and now Collar Jasney's got one as well. Uh, so just we should get a bulk order on helmets. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, DZ, you you want anything else you want to contribute? Um, you, uh, before I let if there's nothing else, but before I let you go as well, um, you mentioned you watched the Casey game. Uh, any. Any insight into that, particularly uh, Dunkley? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, Dunkley, the first, what was it, against Werribee, his first game, uh, that day wasn't suited for forwards at all. The, oh, the disposal was horrendous again, and our, our entries were deplorable, really. But the one thing I noticed early in the game, he wasn't afraid to throw his body in. He laid two or three ripping tackles in the first quarter. Um, so he's not scared you know, to attack the ball. But like I said, it, it wasn't a day for forwards. But you can sort of sense the way he moves and the way he reads the play, there, there's, there might be a bright future there for young Kyle. So, um, and then followed up on the TV the other day, bang, he, you know, he got the reward because we used the ball much better. A few more senior players entered the fray, you know, Lewis, A and B. So, you know, this kid might surprise us all, hopefully. It might be a bargain. Would you season. would you play him this year? I'll definitely play him this year. Yes, uh, I'm not sure if he'd come in in a fortnight against um, Freo, but I'd love to see him get a game before the end of the year, and I don't see why not. We'll give him Baker a go, um, and he's looked likely in his first yeah. three or four games. Yeah, I like him. Just yeah, um, Duncan sort of got the body that looks ready made. You know, that's what it looked like to me watching him live. He, he was. <laughs> He didn't look like a kid, so we might have snagged a beauty there, fellas. You never know. Um, who else? Because uh, I didn't watch uh, the game on TV the other day. Uh, any of the other guys that have played some senior footy uh, that you'd, you'd get back within the within the next fortnight? Uh, yeah, well, Bruce, I would. Um, Alex Neil Bullen did his A and B thing. He ran hard all day. He tackled. Um, caused, you know, put a lot of pressure on their half-back line. I thought Lewis was very good. <laughs> Could we bring Lewis back in? <laughs> Just for some leadership that I don't know. But uh, the junior, I actually like the, the look of Chandler. I think his disposal is very, very good. Um, whether he gets a game this year, I don't know. 
Um, Petty battled hard in defence. Uh, who else was there? Kilty, I think he was used in the ruck and forward as well. Um, might have had a bit of a quiet game. A lock uh, Jordan seems to. James Jordan seems to get to the right spot. He gets to the fall of the ball a lot as well. Um, but <laughs> I guess they're you know more your project players. Him and Chandler wait a year or two. But and, uh, as in terms of changes, I wouldn't have a clue to bring in. It depends which way they want to go. Yeah, you know? they yeah. want to blood some kids. All right. Uh, anyway. All right, DZ. Uh, yeah, I won't keep that. Thanks for your time, fellas. Much appreciated. Not a problem. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. That was uh, Dean Lamposter, to DZ. Thank you for joining us. Um, well, uh, Clary brought up his uh, two thousandth possession. I always have trouble uh, with that uh, that word. Um, interesting uh, to see the. Uh, the breakup uh, of uh, kicks uh, versus uh, handballs uh, with him uh, of his uh, two thousand odd uh, ham- uh, possessions, he's had six hundred and forty three kicks and thirteen hundred and seventy handballs, um, and so he he wore he's the second fastest uh, to rack up two thousand disposals. Uh, Greg Williams uh, seventy one games and. Uh, Oliver was tied with uh, Chris McDermott on 72 uh, games to bring up uh, that total. Uh, but their percentages are, are more... Well, uh, Diesel uh, had more handballs uh, than kicks, and actually Chris McDermott did as well, but uh, not uh, not like uh, Clary's <laughs> one side. It's starting to stats. even up, though, this year. He's definitely kicking the ball more this year than he did last year. I almost think he... Um, at times, and we've said this before, that uh, his handballs are, are too quick, quick for for, uh, for the players. Uh, they don't see it coming at times. Well, he's the, he's the perfectly suited person to a just get rid of the ball game plan because he often does sort of sixth sense moves where you you wonder how the hell he even knew a player was there. Um, but it's it you know there's only so far you can get with that. Um, if everyone else is down in form. And look, I don't think he's had any, been in great form the last couple of weeks. Um, he had that one killer quarter last week. Uh, and admittedly, I've had him in my top five players both weeks, but I think that that's been more due to lack of competition than anything else. Um, it just, just seems that, yeah, he's just he's just been dragged down along with everyone else at the moment. Um, there's, yep. just, there's not many players we've got, really, apart from potentially Max and palms uh, who are in really good form or anything approaching it at the moment. Well, I'll, uh, I'll ask you, I'm assuming, I know the, probably know the answer to this question. You've got your uh, player of the year uh, on your blog. Um, who uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's a one, one horse race. Uh, same with the demon land, uh, demon land player of the year. Uh, yeah. I've Max got Max out by 14 votes on harms and Oliver. Now, so that's uh, you know, on a five-four-three-two-one system. That's almost three full best on grounds uh, that the other guys will need to make up. So it's taken. Uh, I think this is the sixteenth year of this award. This will be the first time ever, it's ever been won by a ruckman if he holds on. Awesome, Max has, didn't win it uh, last year. 
No, uh, it was Oliver, I Oliver, think. But yeah. you think you think I know that off the top of my head? But <laughs> well, in the Demon Land Player of the Year, Max he's almost got a forty uh, lead with a six five four three two one uh, uh, thing. But uh, we also have uh, three three people giving those randomly selected each week, uh, giving those votes. So, but he's out by forty, and uh, I can't see him losing that. Um, Another... He did. It was, it was Oliver over Gorn by 13 last year yeah. in the final tally. Uh, another another milestone brought up, and not a happy milestone uh, brought up, was uh, Nathan Jones uh, cracking the, the ton um, of uh, most losses at a single ground. Uh, he's brought up 100 uh, losses at the MCG. Uh, so... Yeah. Probably slightly unfair to him, considering <laughs> uh, you know only one team played there till 1965, and only two teams played there till the 80s. Uh, but still, I think the one to keep an eye on is the all-time most losses. Full stop. And that uh, is Cade, Cade Simpson is currently eight behind Kevin Murray. Yeah. And Nathan Jones is currently 21 behind Kevin Murray. And you wouldn't think Cade Simpson, given that he's played about 100 games more than Nathan Jones. You wouldn't think he's going to go on past this year. No, and probably so. Maybe I wouldn't like to think we can lose twenty-one games in total by the end of next year, uh, but he's a chance. Well, so if that happens, we should all rush on the ground and carry him off. <laughs> well, that brings us to to the next uh, next point. Um, another this thread has has appeared again. Uh, the what to do with Nathan Jones? Um, uh, it's, it seems there's people, you know calling for for uh perhaps to call time there's a separate thread uh, calling for a new captain well that well. was that is also no no well the, there's the what to do with nathan jones there, there's a lot of people who who sort of think the game's past him um yep. that's that's weird again there, there's a couple of threads that are real again but we can talk about the captains that would you would you go for new captains next year boys i'm playing devil's advocate here um, do we go for someone like Max straight out or do we keep keep the two we've got now? I'd be very surprised if Jones is captain again next year, um, assuming he plays on another year. Um, I reckon he will likely put his hand up um, and, uh, and pass it on, whether it's Jack on his own or they appoint another co-captain, not sure. Um, yeah. And I think it's really the the question is apart from Max, who who else would you have? No, I think Matt, if 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 someone single is going to get it or join Jack Viney, it's going to be Max. There's no one else. I don't think. I think you could maybe add some people to the leadership group, uh, perhaps a lever, but I don't think anyone's uh, going to take captaincy um, ahead of say Jack Viney, Max, or or. or um, Nathan Jones, if he if he does, because uh, I remember Nathan Jones did say in an interview he'll always put his hand up for a captain. I, I don't know if, you know, unless he sees the writing on the wall that he might not be, unless he's told that he might not be getting gifted, get, not that he gets gifted games, um, but if he's in a, a Jordan Lewis situation next year, um, yeah, he might step aside, but yeah, I can't now, see I've, him getting I've got a question for Super Mercado. Um, is it not true that Greg Healy was once dropped while he was captain? Oh, I'm not sure. I know that, he captained that, our uh, award-winning 1993 reserves premiership team. 
Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but um, I know Brad Green had to be the substitute once when he was the captain. That was a, a pretty sad moment, having to run through the banner in a green vest. Did they uh, have to run? Slowed down at the last minute so someone else would go through before him. Did they have to run on the ground with a, a green vest even to start the game? They, I don't know why, <laughs> but they had him go through the banner. Wow. Okay. I don't know if they had to, but they did. And he, yeah, he sort of just slowed down a bit at the end and just let everyone else go through. That was, um, yeah, against Richmond post, post 186. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I'm not sure about Healy. I haven't, I haven't heard that before. But it's not to say it didn't happen. Uh, yeah. There was one name I was forgetting when I was saying he couldn't have any else as the captain. Nev. Now I'm not saying he should be, but just as far as elder statesmen go, uh, he's one I I wasn't thinking about. So the leadership group this year is actually it's only four people. Yep. Uh, it's only Jones, Viney, Gorn, and Jetta, which. I think still think is a good thing, despite what's happened. You don't want to be like that situation a few years ago when we had about 10 players. We had a quarter of the list was in the leadership group. Um, but I would be interested to see if they do just, just add a couple more after this on top of these guys, knowing that Jones's time is, is coming up and Jetta's time is on the, you know, he's getting towards coming up. Do you get your guys like Harms and Lever and people like that? Do you start to grooming them to be, the next generation of captains. Yeah. Um, obviously, Viney on reputation and effort and presence is someone who's up there in that conversation. But on performance this year, you just you wouldn't say that, you know, I'd rather he concentrates on getting his game right than having the captaincy dumped on him as well, at least on his own, potentially sharing with someone, but certainly not on his own. Um. Another thread that uh, reared its ugly head again was the "Is Goodwin the Right Guy?" thread. A uh, lot of a uh, lot of people on Demon Land uh, and uh, I've seen on uh, online on social media are not happy with uh, with Goody. Uh, you know, people don't think our game plan is up to it. Um, I can't see them doing anything yet uh have, next year would have to be a pretty dark and dirty year again uh before he gets the chop yeah yeah it's ridiculous to even think yeah. about it happening as you say next year would have to be right off the rails for something to happen even then but uh you know i think um when you look at the bigger picture of some of the circumstances um uh, that we know are responsible for the situation that we're in uh, with uh, the pre-season and the injuries. Um, he's still got a lot of credit, Goodwin. So, um, yeah, the coach is always going to be a lightning rod for support of frustration. Um, and most of what you see online is uh, is nothing more than that. And I don't think he's he should be immune from criticism. Like, I would like to actually see journos going a bit harder on him. It seems that he gets a gets a pretty easy run. Uh, mm. But at the same time, if he's not the right guy, nothing's going to happen this year. I think that some people live in a fantasy land where, you know, last week we talk about, talked about the finances of why we're unfortunately tied to having to play these games in Darwin. Um, now people want to knife a coach three years early and pay him out as well. 
Uh, and then presumably they want to go out and give $20 million to Alistair Clarkson to become coach as well. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. And personally, I'm very happy to let it roll into next year and see what they do with the assistants, see what they do with the, the support staff, your McCartney's, your Jennings's, people like that. What do they do there? If they just re-sign all the assistants, I might tip a table over. But if they do like Richmond 2016 and back the coach in, which in this case they don't have any real choice in because they've got a contract with him for four years, back the coach in and work on getting the, the, the cattle around him that helps him do the best job. Uh, he's got some he, – he's inherited some of the ruse people and it's not to say they might be doing a great job, but let him go in and just blow the joint up and just put who he wants in there and then let's judge him. Um, for now, he's having a crap season. I think he's getting – a very easy run from the media, um, perhaps not supporters, but they're not going to sack him. And there is absolutely nothing to be gained from trying to sack him at this point of the season. So just treat the next 10 weeks like an extended preseason for next year and, and let's get into this properly one year to the day. If we've been thumped on Queen's birthday next year and we're three or nine, let's get on here and really go for it. But for now, there's no use getting excited about it. Yeah, there was... Um, I think if he was at the end of uh, his contract, if this was the last year of his contract or, or even second last year, uh, might be a different story. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. Let's. Uh, I still let's think even if he was in the last year of the contract, I'd still give him a contract to next year. End of next year. Um, yep. Hopefully with fit players, hopefully with a... An, a off the ground team that's changed and molded more to what he wants. And I just look at Richmond. It's not to say we'll do the same as Richmond, but they could have sacked Hardwick. They, but they backed him in and they fixed the, the core around him. They harnessed their best players to do much better things with what they did off field. And they got the results from that instead of doing the traditional Richmond thing, which would have been to nuke the coach go back to square one, nuke the coach again in five years and never win a premiership. So I'm more than happy to back him in, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to complain about what he does at the same time. Uh, I think there's definite questions over the game plan. There's questions over the, the motivation of the players, but nothing we do from the outside perspective um, causing chaos and, you know, trying to trying to sign up EGMs and stuff like that to bloody sack the board and everything. That's not helpful. So let's just and wait just, until next year, keep your powder dry, and then go bananas from next year. And just remember how close Richmond came to exactly that kind of boil over not long yep. before the premiership. They had that um, rogue group that wanted to take over yep. the board. I can't remember the name now, but they were led by that uh, Focus on Richmond. unfortunately looked a lot like um, a key figure from the Second World War. <laughs> Um, and look, it didn't, it didn't eventuate, but it, it shows, yeah, you know, um, uh, that was pretty close to the year that, uh, that they ended up triumphing in. Yep. Yeah. And uh, after we beat them on Anzac day Eve, the year before, I remember I was, I was almost in tears on the train like, of laughter, listening to their fans ring up the, the much loved and sadly missed Finney's final siren and going off chops about, oh, I'm cutting up my membership, I'm never going back, sack the, you know, if the coach doesn't get sacked and all that. And, you know, sometimes that's not going to 
Sometimes that's not going to come off. Um, keeping backing the coach is not going to work. But even Collingwood, they didn't have that because there was almost like an obsession with looking after Buckley because of who he was. Apart from one of my mates who's a Collingwood fan that absolutely hated his guts as coach. Um, but it's the, they stuck with the program and eventually they've they've come out of last year um, a strong team still. Whereas we've come out of last year, we got one game one game less in the season than them, and we've just free fallen. Uh, I don't think it's worth throwing the baby out with the bathwater yet. I think wait till next year and start doing judgments then. Yep, uh, agree. Uh, I don't know uh, whether we need to um, need to look at changes for next week just yet, because um, there is no next week, but the week week after. Um, a lot of people saying Jeff Garlett should never play for the Melbourne Football Club again. And I want to know who's in what camp on this podcast. Look, it's a tough one. I was a big fan of Garlett when we got him and his first year, I think when he kicked 40-odd goals for us. Um, last year, obviously, was a big disappointment for him. I think uh, this year despite the fact that he's kicked, uh, he's on two occasions kicked three goals. He kicked, I think, one the other day. But all of them have been over-the-top handballs. And that, that's, all, that's all right if, um, if he does that every week and that's his role. But some of his not tackling, not chasing, um, some of his efforts uh, I don't love. And I think... Won't quite say oh, he'll never get a game, but obviously I think he's out of contract at the end of the year. And if he continues yep. to play the way he's been playing, and look, if he kicks three goals every game for the rest of the year, all right, I don't know. I, I still don't think they'll give him another another contract. And I'd actually like to see them play um, Lockhart to play. I'll give this uh, Cole Dunkley a, a go. Um yeah, I, I, I think he's not long for this uh, club. Yeah, I agree with that. Look, I, in my first draft of changes for this week, I kept him in uh, and then I got excited and put Kyle Dunkley in uh, instead and booted him out. But, you know, the old should never play a game again uh, sort of implies that you you not only drop them, but you drop them empty their locker and order them a taxi. <laughs> I don't. I, I think we can we can let the man get through to the end of the year with a yeah. bit more dignity than yeah. that. But at the same time, it might be just a case of saying, you're not getting a game for the rest of the year. You decide what to do. Do you want to be like Vince and just, you know, play it out at Casey, go for a, you know, go for a flag. Um, obviously, he's a player who's hasn't played in a flag, certainly since he's been in Victoria. Might not be, it might not mean anything to him. He couldn't, he might not care less. But give him that option and say, look, you might get a game later in the year, but it's unlikely. Um you choose what you want to do because I would yeah much rather Dunkley Lockhart, maybe not Spargo as much, but um, give the other blokes a go. Um, Chandler is it Chandler the forward or yeah, Ch- the yeah Chandler's Kate the forward Turner. and Jordan's the defender. Yeah, um, give them all a game first, um, but yeah, I don't think we need to be massively disrespectful to him at the same time. It's like Lewis, like I, I have not been a fan of Lewis at all this season. Um, but I think you, you've got to manage these exits rather than um, just taking people outside and shooting them. 
Yeah, no, I take that back. It probably did come across a little bit harshly, and I, uh, I do acknowledge um, his efforts. Probably up until the midway point of last year is when it started to turn for him, because he actually started last season in pretty good form from memory. But um, as Bin Man has noted, uh, it, it, yeah, he doesn't like the contest particularly yeah. much at the moment, and it's very noticeable. Yeah, and as we discussed last week, it's do you want to set the standard amongst the group or do you want to just buy a couple of goals every week? Like that yeah. first that goal he kicked, the only goal of the first quarter, that was a really good move. The the genesis of that was the great kick by Petrarca, I thought, that really kicked to his advantage. But it, does that pay off the contests that don't get made? I don't think it does. Um, I would like to see Hunt has got the speed. Potentially hunts the guy standing down there in the forward line. The question is whether he's got the the nous to to turn his opponent and run off towards goal. I'd like to think he has. And again, I'm willing to try that. Um, I'm willing to try that for the end of the year. I, I just don't. I think everything we do now should focus on round one, 2020. Yeah. Look, I think if 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 Garlett did kick three goals a game, then I'm happy to keep him in. But as soon as the goals dry up. There's not much else. No. So. Yeah, and that's what you got to do. You got to have if you you got to either do goals or something else. And there's been a couple of games this year where McDonald hasn't kicked goals, but he has been good around the ball. Whereas this week there was no goals, and he pretty much couldn't get near the ball either. So if you're going to be a forward, you've got to have a second, a secondary um, thing that you can do. Otherwise, you're just taking up space. Yep. Um. I thought um, uh, the club, uh, the uh, what they did with Brad Green and his uh, boys, um, was really nice. Uh, nice little touch. Uh, Brad on social media seemed to be really touched by it, and the kids seemed to to really love it. So, thought that was a good thing for the club uh, to do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sad occasion. Really, really sad. Yeah, it was good to see the, the smile on the kids' faces and on Brad, uh, you know, the kids got a kick out of it. So, yep. Uh, good to see also uh, a lot of uh, Brad's former teammates uh, and, of course, his former coach, the great Neil Danaher, um, all attended the funeral too. So good to see the club getting around him um, at this time. Uh, yeah, and sp- speaking of Neil Danaher, what, what, you know, I just uh, am absolutely in awe with the guy. I love all the videos we saw uh, in the lead up to the big freeze. Um, it's just fantastic. I, 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 you know, I, you just can't imagine what he's he's going through, and it's great that they've raised so much money and awareness, and uh, it's a really great. It's a really great uh, thing that they're doing with the big freeze, and I really hope that we continue on with this in the next couple of years uh, as well into the future. Um, no matter what sort of ends up happening with uh, with Neil um, and the beast um, that he's he's going through, so yeah. And he's a new grandfather too, so that's yeah. good news. Yeah, it was. Uh, which um, yeah, congratulations. Um, do you think there should have been a, a, a the lineup of the uh, the big freeze the uh, the you know the slide thing should have been an ex demon I thought uh, in there considering obviously not a big deal in the scheme of things but uh, 
I thought I thought this should be we should have gotten uh, someone to cheer on down the slide. The, the have... whole slide thing felt a bit <laughs> flat as a tack this year, I must say. Like I don't know if it's just sort of been played out. It like might obviously, be that. it's mean... a good cause, so certainly not uh, certainly not knocking it. Um, but if it wasn't for the, I thought Nick Rewalt, the Freddie Mercury gimmick, that was best on ground. Yeah, but apart great, from that, yeah. it was kind of, yeah, how many times can we see people go down a slide? We need to have them do something else. We need to bring back Hogan's Heroes <laughs> and have them be, have them take speckies on Russell Robertson. <laughs> uh, but it's all for, it's, you know, it's all yeah, for the good cause. cause so yeah. certainly not knocking the cause, but it just felt like the crowd, maybe because it was a pies home crowd. We'll, we'll, we'll pin it on them. Let's talk about uh, it. Just didn't seem too excited. Did you feel you were, you were all at the game this week? Um, did you feel like we were in enemy territory, perhaps being even interstate? Uh, we were severely very, outnumbered. Very few demons around me up in the uh, top deck of the northern. And... Um, yeah, walking in and out of the ground. Well, I left a little bit early, I've got to admit. So plenty of Demon fans on the way out, but not many on the way in, um, certainly. And I, I think just going quickly back to the slide, I think that's part of the reason it lacks the energy is because it has to happen so early. Um, it's done to a stadium that's sort of, you know, barely a quarter full. So um, it's up against it on that front too, I think. Um, yeah, that, that, but that that the I I bought a reserved seat, and I wanted to get uh, I wanted to get good seats, and I bought put in my Melbourne membership, and it said uh, single tickets available uh, in pretty good seats, so I purchased it. I I had great. I, I was in M fifteen, so I'm on the other opposite side of the ground. Uh, lower level, so opposite side and down from where I normally sit. But I just assumed I would have Melbourne supporters around me. I was put in an area, despite the fact that I used my Melbourne membership barcode to buy the ticket, in reserve seats. There were obviously, I was given the spare seat that hasn't been sold to a reserve seat Collingwood supporter. So I was sitting effectively, grapeviney, sort of like where we sit, where it's all yes. Melbourne supporters who have their set seats in in their Collingwood section, so everyone sort of knew the you know knew each other around me, and I was getting dirty looks. And uh, yeah, that's pretty poor. I, I left um, after quarter time. I went upstairs um, to the top level of the southern stand because you're not. I didn't you're feel not the safe. Bloke that- um, lagged that Collingwood fan out for excessive cheering. Uh, no, but but I, I I felt very uncomfortable because I felt that there was a guy behind me and some of his cheering seemed to be directed right at the back of my head, despite the fact that I was very well behaved and hadn't said boo, basically. Uh, obviously, I didn't have much to cheer about uh, in the first quarter anyway. Um, and I felt uncomfortable, but I would... I don't think I would dob anyone in because <laughs> then I would feel really like the, yeah. the old neighbour next door to the kids having a party uh, type of thing. But It's a, yeah. it's a weird situation because um, being a Collingwood home game, they had a lot of reserved areas. And I know that certainly on the top level of the northern stand, uh, you couldn't the public couldn't sit um, 
uh, closer than row S, I think it was. Yeah, they, the front. So they the, never the can. First, yeah, I mean, that, that's reserved seats anyway. Um, we're all Collingwood. It's like that all the way around the ground. Um, so, yeah, there's there's not a lot of room left for anyone else, unfortunately. But it really yeah, it was the, the same when we played when we played the away games against them uh, a few years back. You from where I sit in row MM, uh, you don't get much relief from opposition fans at the Collingwood home games. Yeah, it it uh, really felt like we were deep in enemy territory at our own home ground, uh, but I guess it's their home ground too. So. Yep. Um, the good news is now that we've we've delivered two rubbish performances in blockbusters consecutively this year, we probably won't get any next year. They'll probably kick us out and replace us with Carlton or something. Yeah. Well, we will. Well, obviously, we'll get our and we should get the Anzac Eve. We should get uh, Queen's Birthday again, but I doubt we're going to have. Uh, uh, we might get one Friday. We'll get one Friday night. I'd say, yeah. and that's the oh, best. We'd be we'll lucky get. not to get. 21 Friday mornings at 11 a.m. the way we've been playing this year. <laughs> we might Channel just get... seven executives would hate us. Yeah, yeah, we haven't. I've delivered. said North should play on a Tuesday afternoon just down at a local <laughs> oval somewhere, uh, and no one would notice the difference. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, much prefer North's. Um, <laughs> they've won a few more games than us this year, um, but yeah, we'll be back. Yeah. All right. Anything else, uh, boys? Before we uh, before we uh, head off for our, uh, our bye week, uh, can I just say to fans, you can do whatever you like at the football within reason, but don't be a wanker and boo Jesse Hogan. Oh, I'm yeah, not for booing at the best yeah. of times, but well, he didn't. He didn't leave, like he didn't leave us. Correct. Yeah. I don't. I can't imagine anyone booing Jesse when a player. G- I you can because there's people who are just ruthlessly believe that any player who's <laughs> left. stupid. Yeah, because I remember I had this punch on on Twitter with a bloke once when Carlton played Collingwood and they were booing Dale Thomas. And it was like, you in 10 years' time, you will be crawling on your hands and feet at a premiership reunion to bow to him for winning you a flag. And now in the twilight of his career, he hasn't done anything. He's just playing for the opposition team and you're booing him. Are you mental? And it's like... No, nah, that's just what you do. You just boo the op- you just boo players when they leave your team. And it's like pff, pff, I can't I can't handle those people. Now, if he goes and does a Tony Lockett, Peter Caven style shirt front on Marty Hoare or something, oh, fair enough. Different. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I I can't. I guarantee you, someone will. But the, probably the saving grace will be there'll be no one there, <laughs> yeah. so you won't hear it. Or you might hear it. It might be it might be one bloke in the whole stadium will be able to hear it. We could hear in the GWS game, we could hear the umpires uh, from where we were, so it's not uh, crazy. Uh, I remember going to um, uh, Melbourne under-19s matches uh, with you, Andy, and Whispering Jack um, in the, well, what would have been early and mid-80s, and certainly it didn't matter where you were in the ground, you could hear Slug Jordan from inside the coach's <laughs> box, that's for sure. Uh, voice ringing, ringing around the stadium. Uh, the days of the under-19s, bring them back. <laughs> we had a good team going around in the thirds then too. They're the ones that graduated into into finalists eventually. It was interesting to hear uh, Straubs talk about him and Jimmy uh, competing in the under-19s, uh, being very competitive with each other. 
yep. all the way back then. I, I, I didn't realise, um, I sort of knew Jimmy sort of came through there, but I didn't realise Straubs did as well. Um, so, it was, yeah, that was, uh, that was good to hear. Um, just some housekeeping. Uh, next week we, we will be having a show because we're going to be uh, interviewing uh, former Captain David Neitz uh, on the show. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, former Captain, Hall of Famer. Um, he's our leading game, uh, isn't he? Yep. 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 And uh, leading goal scorer. And next most yep. losses on the MCG. Yeah, I was looking at that list before. Yeah. <laughs> So he's uh, 80 or something. Uh, maybe we won't ask him about that one. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we won't bring that one up. And then uh, then the following week we'll be uh, interviewing Rod Grinter, who does have a record, a huge lead in most suspensions, and I don't think anyone will ever uh, catch up to him uh, because you'd think they'd be booted out of the AFL <laughs> these days uh, with a record like that. Um while we're talking about being booted out of the AFL, we, we mentioned last week about the uh, people ejected. Uh, do you think it's getting a bit ridiculous uh, what people are getting kicked out of stadiums for? Do you think they're being a little bit too precious? Can I just say, I hate Matt Nichols with a passion. Yep. Uh, and I can't, was it, it was either the Geelong or the Hawthorne final he um, officiated in last year and destroyed us so i've got no love for him but there seems to be a bit of debate about what was said to him um and in my eyes one of those words is fine and the other's not um so um if he was called a flog i really don't think it's an issue to call an umpire a flog do you think allowed general terms of abuse like that um, if it was the homophobic... Oh, I was going to mention, was that uh, was the other word uh, something? That, yes. You know, okay. So some, some, Without saying it. some who were standing near that supporter said that he quite clearly said a homophobic word rather than flog, um, in which case he's getting what he deserves. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, go ahead, Super. Oh, I was going to say, I think it's the context as well. If, they, if it's, again, yes, if it trips the line into... Um, legitimately offensive stuff that's different no matter where you are but there's a big difference to the guy sitting 20 rows back and just going ah yes to flog and you know yelling something out to the people who are hanging over the fence hanging over the the railings now the picture of him is he's basically standing on top of where the umpire is walking out yeah. uh, i'd love to see the whole thing just to know but to me that's the difference uh, if if you're screaming over the fence into someone's face, uh, there's a big difference to that. Like if he'd said one thing in his seat versus another thing, hanging over the fence, red face, screaming at the umpire with spittle coming out of his mouth, uh, that's a lot different to me. So I think it is it is going to get a bit over the top, although at the same time you have to wonder how much of these people are pouring, you know, pouring it on their on the security guards and, and not accepting their own behaviours as a consequence. But I think where we need to take a stand is the people who are just, like, violently offensive and aggressive at games. And where Channel 7 has something to answer for this is every single time there's a contentious decision and they cut to someone in the crowd doing their block, often kids sticking the finger up and people screaming abuse at the umpires, why do we show that? What, and that never gets mentioned. Like, why do you have to, do I care? 
that some bogan in the crowd doesn't like a decision. That's not what I'm watching the footy for. I think they need to take a step back and not just instantly cut. And it happens, watch a Friday night game. The director of that game must have like a particular nuffy cam on the cheer squad <laughs> because it just goes bang. The, the decision gets made or the goal gets kicked and just cuts straight to someone in the crowd, probably who they've been tracking on the camera, um, absolutely going off. Uh, and that's why I quite like watching games on computer because I can press print screen and get <laughs> quality quality images out of it. But w- why normalise that kind of behaviour? Uh, I think yeah. that there's always going to be an element of frustration and um, even aggression, but very low-level aggression at the footy. Um, why why normalise it on television? But let it happen, police it on the day. But don't celebrate it like these people are the great legends of footy because they're the ones who, you know, jump up red-faced in their scarf that they bought from the $2 shop um, and, you know, scream abuse at the umpires. We don't need to see that. There's the bigger picture here, um, and that's umpiring um, elsewhere, not in the professional game, and the need to encourage people to become umpires um, for junior football, community football and country football. And for that exact reason, um, Super Mercado's point is spot on um, in getting in stamping out that kind of behaviour. Yeah, it's always going to happen. Like most things that are unpleasant, it's always going to happen, but we don't need to draw attention to it. And especially we don't need to draw attention to it as if it's just a normal part of the broadcast. Like you never see the commentators say, gee, that guy's gone a bit over the top. They might want to calm him down. It's just never talked about you show the guy in the crowd going crazy or the woman going crazy and then they just go back to the game without even mentioning it it's just it's like part of the entertainment and then all of a sudden we all get high and mighty about people being thrown out of the ground um you know you'd hate someone to, from channel seven to join in because they should be directed to their own coverage to see what they're promoting yeah and that's not a mistake they've, they've obviously as no. you mentioned been tracking a certain Person because yeah. they cut to oh, just like the, or, or they've just got one camera on the cheer squad, yeah, just so they can bat, hit go straight to it, or the director can cut straight to it the moment something happens. And it just like Fox doesn't seem to do it that you get the occasional one on Fox, like you're always going to get the occasional crowd shot, especially if someone's right on the fence. But it's Channel Seven are the ones that even when the ball's gone in at the other end, they'll cut to the to the opposite end of the ground to get a shot of someone doing their block in the cheese well, that's squad. Well, that's because... cynical. That's because they've got more cameras uh, in in action. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, they've got that spare camera that can just track the crowd. Yeah, I mean... Uh, then the Fox... God, surely there's a better use for your spare camera in, you know, giving us behind the goals vision or something, giving us some actual tactical analysis rather than just showing someone making an idiot of themselves. Yep. Well, I tend to agree with that. Uh, Super Mercado, you want to uh, plug plug into your stuff before we low? Speaking of making an idiot of yourself, (laughs) uh, we've got a new post up on demonblog.com today about yesterday's game. Uh, That's a lengthy post. It touches on on next year as well. And you can also visit demonwiki.org for all your historical needs. If you want to read about the 1993 Reserves Premiership, you can do it on there. Uh, And you can follow me on Twitter at demonblog. I went to, uh, I was trying to find uh, some photos of uh, uh, Straubs uh, and uh, you only had uh, one on uh, on your website, quite a low quality um, headshot of him. 
there's not much, uh, not much, not many photos of Straub's on the internet. It's only a I'll, couple. I'll have to look through the uh, look through the gallery. I'm sure there's there's got to be a couple more. I was also looking for. I've, I've, got, I've actually got eleven images of him. Oh, you do? I couldn't. I couldn't. Eleven live images. Uh, yep, but there's only one on the actual profile. Ah, okay. But uh, if you want low quality images, by Christ, <laughs> I've got low quality images for you. Some of the <laughs> lowest quality, like uh, print screen jobs from old editions of the Age on microfilm that you'll ever see, and I think three of them are him coming out of the tribunal. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I uh, put it in the ch- I'll put the link in the chat room. I noticed you've been doing a deep dive into the seventies uh, on Twitter, and anyone who doesn't follow uh, Super Mercado, it's at Demon Blog on Twitter. It's a it's worth a follow. Uh, any any there was something a coach you've you've been wanting you've been yep. wanting more information about you want to talk about that uh. so 1976 we almost made the finals under Bob Skilton 1977 we went right through the floor he got the sack or he left decided to resign and they replaced him with Dennis Jones who was a ex premiership player um came straight off the committee for 1978 and that was it he only managed one season so he was almost the 1970s Mark Neal and he did some Bloody bizarre things. Uh, he, at one point, he made the team go in back into the rooms after they'd lost to Footscray. And I think it was their eighth loss by 10 goals within about 15 weeks. Uh, and he made them sing the song <laughs> after they lost. Uh, For, did, we don't know the reason. There Was, there, was there anything in that article? Uh, it just reason? kind of suggested that they wanted to keep the player spirits up, which really seems it's bizarre. bizarre to me. Yeah. But also that's the season where in round two, we won 167 to 157. And then in round six, we lost by, make sure you're sitting down, 141 to 204. How These scores are just, uh, I mean, the AFL would be Channel 7. We have 141 yeah. points all year. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. How Channel... do you score 141 points in a game and lose Either. by 10 goals? Uh, Channel 7 would love that. This is, yep. Isn't this what they want? 52, <laughs> 52 goals, 33 between the teams, 345 points. Wow. Um, Talk about and the there's back just, line. There's just a catalogue of just bizarre things that Dennis Jones was involved with. And then he got the boot at the end of the year. And there was, on the thread I put up on Demonland, there was some very uncomplimentary uh, t- talk about him from people who were around at the time. Um, but it was a strange one because he... He hadn't really had all that much success as a coach. Like 15 years before he got Paran to a VFA Division Two grand final and about five years before he got West Perth to a Waffle grand final, then finished right down the ladder and got sacked the year before, then came back to Melbourne, joined the committee, and then all of a sudden got made the coach. And it was kind of like I'm just, I'd be interested to know the process of what got him that job because I've done a lot of – deep dives into the into the, the the papers of that era and it's you never get the talk about who they wanted who else they wanted as coach every other time a coach got the sack from norm smith onwards there's there's speculation about who the coach is going to be uh, and if, an interesting thing i actually found out is that we actually had a pop at a 26 year old lee matthews uh, to come in as the captain coach to replace jones so it'd be interesting to to know what would have happened if that had if that had occurred um, Stephen Smith probably wouldn't have had a broken jaw, that's for sure. Um, but that that would have been quite the get. Um, Lee Matthews in his prime, 
Uh, but that didn't work and they, they settled on Carl Dittrich instead, who was about seven years older. But, yeah, if anyone's got any any um, anything on 1978 uh, or anything just Demon Wiki could use in general, that'd be great if you could get in contact via uh, Twitter or, or email or Demonland personal message and we can add it to the site. Because I, I just uh, SMS Whispering Jack, uh, I thought he'd have it be a treasure trove of uh, information about him. I just said any info on Dennis Jones, and all he wrote back was he was a dud coach, no idea. Yep, <laughs> so that, that's, that's what came up quite a lot, uh, and then he just dropped out of footy. He was never seen, never seen in footy again. But yeah, I, I'd just love to know how they. I mean, he sat on the committee, but I'm sure he took himself out of the the discussions about appointing the coach. And uh, but the funny thing was. Bob Skilton was always talked about as the, one of the lowest paid coaches in the league and they never had any money for recruits. They they couldn't get anyone. And then two years later, there's an article about Jones. He's like, Jones is one of the highest paid coaches in the league. <laughs> and you're like, what's going on here? Like, did he did he just swizz the committee into giving him this job at big money? Like, I'd just love to know more. So somewhere there's probably a, a treasure trove of in the MCC archives or something of meeting meeting notes or something like that but uh whatever the process was it certainly didn't work because we won the wooden spoon we won four games and the spoon is he still alive i don't think he is no i think he might have passed i was gonna try try and get him on the podcast (laughs) yeah and yeah he passed away in 1999 actually Uh, uh, we're a few years late yeah so (laughs) certainly be interested in hearing from anyone from around around that time i'm i'm working on a, uh, on a project that involves the 70s. So I probably will be hitting a few people up for for um, interviews for that in the next few months. Well, sounds, sounds exciting. <laughs> there's there's no, niche, no, no more niche topic than uh, the Melbourne Football <laughs> Club in the non-finals years. Uh, I was just having a look at the link you provided of the uh, Steve O'Dwyer ga- gallery and you... You weren't uh, kidding when you said low quality images because those uh, those That's pictures just straight of him print screen from newspapers dot com that uh, those pictures of him coming out of, of the tribunal look uh, like they might have been snapped in the eighteen eighties. Uh, well, boys, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, once again on uh, on this podcast, I wish we could all be meeting under better circumstances. I mean, how good was the uh, the spring of uh, twenty eighteen? That was a, a good time, and yep. wish we well, could this was the this there. is about where it came to an end. So you just just consider the six weeks, the six weeks you had before this week a year ago, uh, and can the six weeks you've had this year. Yep. Been uh, <laughs> it's been a terrible year. All right. Uh, well, we'll 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 be back. Um, we'll be back next uh, next week with uh, an interview with um, with David Neitz, and um, yeah, we might do a little bit of chat about uh, you know obviously the changes going into the the next week, and uh, I, I don't know if there's any point in doing a wrap up of the year so far because uh, there's nothing really to talk about. So. Uh, Anyway, we'll be back uh, next week uh, with that interview and, um, yep, go Demons.